I'd like to read from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 Verse 25 from Luke 10. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbour as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said, And who is my neighbour? Then Jesus said to him, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked, and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So, which of these three do you think was neighbour to him? He fell among the thieves. He said, He has showed mercy to him. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. If you've read the Gospels at all, you'd become aware that Jesus spoke quite often in parables. The ones that are written, I think there's around 40, but Jesus spoke an awful lot, so there must have been a lot that were never written down. But parables are usually defined as earthly stories with heavenly meanings, or simple illustrations of complex ideas. Now that's true as far as it goes, but they were also cryptic and intentionally so. Sometimes they were to reveal, but more times they were to conceal what was being said. The disciples once asked him, why do you speak to the people in parables? And he said to them, because this people's heart has hardened, it's callous, and they see, but they don't see. They hear, and they don't hear. He 
because if they did, they'd come to me to heal them. So he taught in par when he was teaching in parables, he was challenging assumptions that were deeply held. He was critiquing world views. He was introducing this kingdom where the privileged views of the Jews were being upended. His kingdom privileged the least, the lost, and the last. There was a certain politician a little while ago in a little place far away who promised his followers that if they voted for him, he would set up a kingdom of winners. They would win so much that they'd get tired of women. It didn't quite work out that way, but that was his promise, and he was a politician. A kingdom of winners. Jesus' kingdom is for losers. In his kingdom, the last will be first. The weak are strong, and the way up is through going down. So we come to the setting of this parable. Behold, a lawyer stood up. He's practicing the right protocols. Because at that time, the teacher would sit and the people would sit. And if you wanted to ask a question, you stood up. So he has the right practice, but he has the wrong motive. His motive, Luke says, is to test him. He wants to test him. Now, Jesus has been tested right throughout his ministry. Over the three years, he was constantly tested by the leaders. They came to him always with something to catch him out on. And the most, well, the worst situation that I came across was the one in Luke 20, verse 20, when the Pharisees and Sadducees got together and they sent spies out to see if they could trap him in his words so that then they could accuse him before the government. And so they come to him and they come and praise him. That's the way. We'll put him off his game. We'll praise him. We know that you are a man that speaks your mind. You don't tailor your message to your audience. You're not like our politicians or religious leaders who stick their fingers up in the air to see which way the wind is blowing and then lean that way. No, you tell it like it is. So we have a question for you. It's troubling us. Should we pay taxes to Caesar? Yes or no? Can't ring a friend, just yes or no? And Jesus looks at them and he says, why do you constantly test me? You never win. You come with the same questions and you always lose. So this guy is coming to test him as well. Why? Because he's a lawyer. He's an expert in the law of Moses. And who is this young rabbi? He's from a backwater suburb of Nazareth. He has no theological degree. He hasn't gone to any renowned theological cemetery like I have. He's just a rabbi, doesn't have any proper credentials. What would he know? 
So he asks a question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now Jesus dealt with these people all through his ministry. So he doesn't answer his question. He asks him a question. And that's what you have in this dialogue in these 12 verses. The lawyer asks a question. Jesus doesn't answer his question. He asks him a question. And then when the lawyer answers his question, Jesus answers his. And this happened twice. So he asks him a question. You're a lawyer. How do you read the law? What's, what's your interpretation of the law? Now, there were over 600 statutes, things that people uh, practiced. There was over 600, some say 613. And this lawyer's prepared. Now, he must have been a good lawyer because he distilled out of 600 plus he distilled two important laws he says you should love God totally or in every way and there's another one love your neighbor as yourself now you've got to give him credit if he could do that no waffling, straight to the point. He got there. And the Lord gives him credit. He says, that's a good answer. You got it in one. Now all you have to do, in answer to your question, what should you do? Go and do it. I don't know whether the Lord was being somewhat sarcastic. You ask a question that you know the answer to and you can't. You've distilled it from 600 plus to 2. Now, if you had to do the 600, you may forget one or two here and there, or 50 or 60, but 2, for a person like you, that shouldn't be very difficult. Like, roll your eyes, go. Just go and do it. Shouldn't be hard for you. Now, the lawyer, Luke writes, tries to justify himself. He doesn't want to be dismissed just like that. I mean, what's a lawyer's stock in trade? Not a hammer and nails. It's words. Lots of words. Splitting words. Dividing them. You know, they could talk and talk. And he's being dismissed. He's just saying, go and do it. No problem for you. So he trusted just by himself. He wants to win an argument. He wants to go try to That's how he comes out. And what's the definition? What are the distinctions? How far does this neighborhood supposed to go? You see, for the Jews at that time, a neighbor was a fellow Jew. But not just anyone, but one who kept the law like they did. Gentiles were not neighbors. And Samaritans, well, they definitely weren't neighbors. They were hated. They had a history that went back a few centuries where the Jews that were left after the Assyrians came in and took the tribes to wherever they took them, they took the top echelon of the people and they replaced them 
with the bottom echelon from some other place that they had conquered so that they wouldn't get together and rebel. In the meantime, those people intermarry. They set up their own temple, worship on their own mountain. They incorporated pagan rites and they only kept five books of the Bible and they ignored the other 39 or 34. So they were hated. They were half-breeds. They had an issue of... Um, They hated each other, I can't think of anything else. <coughs> Excuse me. So the lawyer asked the question, Jesus doesn't really answer the question, he illustrates it with a story. He says, a man travels from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now that's about a 18 mile trip, and it's about a three and a half thousand foot drop between Jerusalem up top and Jericho at the bottom. And this man is travelling down this road, is noted as a road that's dangerous, and he's set upon, beaten, robbed and stripped of his clothes and left half dead on the road. And a priest is walking down the road, probably, first responder, probably from Jerusalem, because there's a bit of filling in here, and it's something that used to happen. So. We'll just run with it. So it's coming probably from Jerusalem. The priest used to spend two weeks a year on assignment in Jerusalem working at the temple, uh, offering sacrifices and, I don't know, hearing confessions, whatever. So he's coming from Jerusalem on assignment that he spent there. Some say one week, some say two weeks once a year. He sees a person laying on the side of the road and he has to weigh up what he's going to do. So he thinks, I don't know the class of this person. Is he a Gentile? Well, I don't have any responsibility for a Gentile. He's not a neighbour. If he's a Samaritan, well, maybe he deserved it. That's karma for them. What if it's someone else? Maybe another Jew, but he can't tell because the man has no clothes on. And you could tell their social status or their nationality somewhat by the clothes they wore. And he's not speaking. That was another way of telling whether they were what nationality and what um, whether they would be neighbours or not. Because he's not speaking at all. He's he's out. And he also values ritual purity. That's something he values. They all do. And if he goes and touches the body, he makes himself contaminated. What is it? Unpure. He'd have to go back to the temple, offer up whatever they do to purify themselves, and then have to come down and go back again. So It wasn't a big path, so he made another path and went round. Next follows a Levite. Now the Levites used to help the priests in when they officiated in the duties in the temple. And this guy 
he could have been possibly the one who helped the priest at that time. He may have even seen the priest as he went down because it was a down uh, slope. He may have seen the priest do a detour. So he thinks, well, my superior decided to go down, around, I'll go and do the same as my superior. So he decides to bypass as well. But the way it's written, it says that he actually had a closer look. Now, the leaders at that time, the priests and the Levites, they were very much into scrupulous obedience to the minutiae of the law. And Jesus had a problem with that because they were so intent on the small things, they even tithe salt and pepper, for want of another example. They were so intent on scrupulous obedience that they always ignored the weightier matters of the law, which was justice, mercy, and people before things. And he upgraded them many times because they didn't care for people. He was more or less implying to them that piety is never an excuse for good. So those two go past. The third person in the story, the temple was served by priests, by Levites, and possibly layman Jews who did the cleaning up or whatever. So the lawyer is listening to this and he hears. There was a priest, okay, he's at the top of the tree, he's Jewish. There was a Levite, he's under the priest, he's Jewish. Surely the third person coming would be a Jew, maybe a lay person. He can follow another, he's a pretty bright guy. And he's kind of listening to this, and the Lord says, and a Samaritan, well, that got his ears open, and he started thinking, hang on a minute, what is a Samaritan doing in a Jewish story? What's happening here? He expected a Jew, and instead it's a Samaritan. Now, we may not understand how much of a shock that may have been to him, but if you put it in today's language, it would be like having an Anglican bishop walking past, followed by a Baptist pastor, followed by a Muslim man. That would get our attention. Well, we've got this guy's attention. Not only that, but the imam becomes the hero in the story. So it's very jarring. So the lawyer, he knows the Samaritans are hated. So what's he doing in the story? The Samaritan arrives on the scene. He sees the man, has compassion, and is moved to help. The lawyer's question was, who is my neighbor? Who do I love? Who do I spend love on? Well, for him, his neighborhood was very limited. For him, maybe a family member. I mean, you know, family, I could love them. Maybe even extended family. I could stretch that neighborhood a bit 
to extend it down, you know, the in-laws and the outlaws. Maybe they would be included. I could probably love them. But what about the fellow that borrows your tools up the street and never returns them? Well, uh, maybe, but I'd never lend him tools anymore. So, you know, he had a limited neighbourhood because he had a problem with his heart. He had a limited heart. It wasn't big enough to accommodate any more than that. So to the lawyer, his neighbourhood was, as I said, some of those, but mainly Jews that kept the law like he did. To Jesus, the definition of neighbour was limitless. Jews, Gentiles, even Samaritans were neighbours. Regardless of religion, race, language, ethnicity, tribe, everyone was a neighbour, including your enemy. So the Samaritan, what he does is costly to himself. He attends to his injuries. He has to bandage him up. He pours wine onto his wounds to disinfect. He puts on oil to mollify the bruising. And then he puts him on his motor transport, a donkey or a horse or whatever. Inconveniences himself for someone he doesn't even know. In contrast to those that robbed him and took his money, he's going to pay for him. So he gave two denarii, which was about two days' wages. And he gives that to the innkeeper after looking after him all night. And he says, if it costs more, on my return, I will pay you more. I will reimburse you for whatever it costs. So Jesus poses the question, which one is the neighbour to this man? And the lawyer, he can't even say Samaritan. He says, the one who showed mercy, wouldn't even say Samaritan. And Jesus says to his question, originally, go and do likewise. Jesus shifted the question. The lawyer asked, who is my neighbour? But Jesus answered the larger question, to whom must I be a neighbour? The lawyer was concerned with the object of love. To whom should I extend my love? Give me a limit. Jesus was concerned with the subject of love, the one who's going to show love. The lawyer was interested in how far do my responsibilities go? I want to know who are my neighbours and who are not. I don't want to waste my life on those that are not included in my neighbourhood. But Jesus says, everyone is a neighbour. Anyone and everyone is a neighbour. In 1 John 4, 19 and 20, John writes, We love him because he first loved us. We do not initiate love to God. We respond to the love that He initiated to us. We love Him because He first loved us. So we respond to His love. But then He continues and He says, If you say, I love God, 
and hate your brother, you lie. You don't tell the truth. But how can you love God whom you can't see if you can't love your brother whom you can see? If you want to measure how much you love God, measure it concretely against how much you love your neighbor. That's pretty straightforward there. You say you love God? Prove it by extending love, initiating love to your neighbor. And just to finish, all three that came down saw the man laying on the road. But it's not enough just to see a need. What you do is determined by what you see. The priest saw a problem to be avoided. The Levi saw an object of curiosity. The Samaritan saw a person in need of love. The Samaritan saw a neighbor because he was a neighbor. What they saw determined what they did. What you see is determined by what you are. Jesus turned the question around. Who was the neighbor? The Samaritan, because he saw a neighbor. What you see is determined by what you are. I'll finish with a little parable. Pussycat, pussycat, where have you been? I went to London to see the Queen. Pussycat, pussycat, what saw you there? I saw a mouse under a chair. Now here's a cat who knows where he's going and he knows what he wants to see. He wants to see the Queen. So he saves his pennies for the bus fare. He catches a bus a couple of times and waits at the doors for the doors to open so he could be ushered in to see the Queen. The doors are open, the Queen is sitting on her royal throne in all her regalia, and what does the cat see? A mat under a chair. What? Why? Because it's the nature of cats to see mice. So, if we are neighbours, if we see ourselves as neighbours, we will see neighbours. If we are like the priest and the Levite, we won't. We'll bypass them. So, we respond to the love of God by loving our neighbour. How can you say you love God when you can't see, if you can't love, or get on with, the people who you can see at home, at work, even at church. You want to measure how much you love God? It's not by how many Christian books you read or how many Christian songs you sing. A concrete way is how do you relate to other people in a practical way? Those that don't even ask you to relate. But we extend love to them because we received it from the Lord. So, respond to the love of God by loving your neighbour, even people who borrow our tools and won't return them, or even despise Samaritans. I think so. Is there some?